Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. A little early today. Yeah, we ran a little early. Yeah. Has taken the stand. So, Mr. Producer, why don't we go to that and tune in live as that is going on right now. Kyle Rittenhouse taking the stand. Sam and Sal thanked us for coming out to help. Um, And then he said, Sal said, hey, why don't you guys hop in my car? If I remember correctly, it was either a white or black BMW or Mercedes. I don't I don't recall exactly. And why did he want you to get this car? Um, he was going to drive us down to car source lot number three. Okay. And did you agree to get in his car? I did. And who went to car source number three? Me, Dominic Black, and Nick Smith. And who was driving? Sal. And when you got there, what happened? We got out and... Um, we hung around for a couple minutes, and then some people showed up. Um, I now know who they are, but at the time, I didn't. Oh, the prosecution's acting all weaselly. Here we go. Show you what's been marked as Exhibit 33-0. Do you recognize that exhibit? I do. And can you... Your Honor, can you go up there, please, and point out? Can you point out the people who you knew before that picture was taken and name them? Yes. This is. So why don't we why don't we cut away from this? Because what he's going what he's doing right now is they're basically explaining how he got there. This is he's already said under oath that he would not have killed Rosenbaum if he didn't lunch for the gun. We'll tune back into it, especially as the prosecution takes it, because that's going to be very interesting. So, Mr. Producer, just get somebody in the booth, if you will. Um, Zach, why don't you just keep an eye on what's happening in the trial while you're in there? Who is taking the stand right now? Big decision. Rittenhouse taking the stand. I don't know if he should have. I mean, the prosecution so failed to make their case. It's a risk. Anytime you go on the stand and you testify in your own defense, it is a risk because you're going to be subject to cross-examination. They're going to be able to go into your backstory, anything else you might have done in the past, opening up potentially for more criminal liability. Yeah, but I, but I think I that... I would have done it, but... I, I mean, look... Not. I can tell you that more often than not, when the prosecute when the when the jury hears from you, right? I mean, if you just look at statistics, I like statistics. Even though most lawyers are uncomfortable with it because it opens up a can of worms, you got a young man that went out there to protect people. I don't think he has a whole lot to hide. It's not like he went out there with the idea of, oh, it's going to clack off and I'm going to have to fire this weapon. It was he was just there to protect people. He had a medical kit. He had all the right intent. Yeah. 
the intentions of being there. And so the intent of committing a crime, it was just not there. All the elements of committing a crime are not there. Kyle, Kyle didn't show up because he's like, ah, I'm going to start shooting someone. That's, that's not why he showed up. He showed up because he wanted to protect people in the community. And I think the people on the jury will see that very clearly. And they'll also see that the people that, pro that the prosecutors put on the stand lied. He lied. Yeah. So. Not, not just that, but he actually had a witness yesterday. We can play a little later. Um, actually accused the prosecution of trying to get him to perjure himself. Trying to trick him into changing his police report after the fact. And basically trying to get him to lie on a police report. <laughs> it's, and, then he, and then he had to take him off the stand. Yeah, yeah. We, we should play we, that. that. That's that's a, just a fascinating. Guys, hit the share button. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. Um, it should be. What uh, you see throughout this case is the prosecution calling their own witnesses and having to treat their own witnesses as hostile witnesses. I don't think I've ever seen it. Like maybe once or twice when like a, prose a prosecutor is bringing up a family member who really doesn't want to testify, by, but you're going to force him to anyway. Right. It, it almost reminds me of a little bit of like my cousin Vinny, my cousin Vinny, where they put Marissa Tomei on the stand and uh, <laughs> treat her as a hostile witness. And everyone's like, it's your witness. It, it can sometimes happen. But every day the prosecution is being forced to treat its own witnesses as hostile witnesses. I've, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, uh, uh, I'm I'm actually glad that we're we're having the opportunity to talk through just the, the the basic principles of this case because what we're actually seeing is and and frankly I think every innocent person and this is just my opinion you're not you might not like this I think every innocent person should take the trial all the way through I think every innocent person should stand up and get on the stand. And I know that, you know, they say that, hey, don't, don't get on the stand, don't get on the stand, don't get on the stand. I think, that, I think that there's a lot of benefit to, if you're credible, getting out there and speaking truth. I mean, look at what happened when our boy uh, Eric Coomer had a four-hour deposition. That was like massive meltdown. Yeah, which is, why, which is why, it, again, it's good for you, it's right? It's really good but for me. But very bad for Eric Coomer. Um, yeah. Listen, it's an 18-year-old kid. Obviously, yeah. he has a good head on his shoulders because he's just listening to some of the, his testimony before we came <laughs> to air. Listen to a little bit in my ear right now just to try and follow along. Um, obviously, he has a good head on his shoulder. And the other side of it is the prosecutors are so inept. It's a, it's not like they're he's going up against uh, the Johnny Cochran or wh whoever you'd, you'd call like the best lawyer. With the, with the best legal mind. No, he's going up with a couple of idiots who literally brought their own witness up and he accused them of suburning per perjury. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They're not bringing their A game. So if there was ever a time, I, when the in my opinion, when the prosecution fails to make their case as, as, as significantly as this prosecution did, I think there's too much to risk. But if you're going to do it, if you're going to go on the stand, I can't think of a better time to go on the stand than when you're going up against dumb and dumber over there <laughs> on the prosecution side. And, well, I mean, and you could see just the body language of the prosecutors. They, they, they don't want to be in that courtroom. They certainly don't want to be on TV live. Their careers are over. <laughs> I guess they're not over because the, the, the DA's offices are pretty, uh, pretty wrought with uh, corruption and DA's that, that frankly want to support this communist agenda. So 
Maybe they're not over, but they sure look like the village idiots. So we should have one of those clips. Why don't we play one of those clips? Let me just pull it up and see what the number is. This is yesterday when the prosecutors brought their own witness onto the stand and he accused them of suburning perjury, basically trying to convince him to lie. Ms. Bruce, let's go ahead and put up cut number four. In the room when you met with me and Mr. Binger and Ms. Beasy? Yes. Is it fair to say that you were very nervous? Yeah, absolutely. And we did have you read over your statement, right? Correct. And we asked if you knew anything beyond that statement. Correct. We didn't ask you to change it. You, yes, you did. Okay. So you said... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you we didn't did. ask you to change it. Uh, yes, you did. <laughs> and they're like, Ooh, you admitted it. But, he admitted but then, it. All right, so what did he say after that? I, I missed that one completely. Well, we, did he... well, we, have, we have the other clip. So they, they kind of like tried to gloss over it. And then obviously the defense gets a chance to cross-examine. And, and they got him to fle flesh it out. It's funny, at the beginning, the prosecutors, if you listen, it sounds like they tried to object to it. So after they opened the line of questioning, they tried to object, it sounds like, to the defendants trying to flesh it out. And they get him to admit exactly what happened. Let's, let's play this. This is cut five. B, I want no reaction. Facial reaction, please. Describe your meeting with Mr. Binger and Mr. Kraus in their office. Or object to relevance. Answer it. Please. Um, I don't know the date off the top of my head, um, but I was called down to the district attorney's office. Um, I met with Mr. Binger and I don't remember his name. The individual who's in the blue. Um, and we were, I was called into a, a room, sat at a table, um, handed my police statement, um, got to read over my police statement, and then I was asked if I would like to add anything um, to the police statement, and I said I would not. Um, Mr. Binger pulled out a cell phone and showed me a video and also a photo, which was actually one photo that I brought today and asked me to if I knew who a gentleman was in that photo, and I said I did not. And he asked me to, or he, um, he said this is uh, Joshua Zeminski. Um, I, he, Mr. Binger also has a case with him, and I am subpoenaed for that case also. And he says, well, that's who that is. He put the phone down, he picked the phone back up and says, who is this? And I confusingly said like, Joshua Zeminski, and he's like, would you like to add that to your statement? And I just felt I didn't want to change my statement. Okay. And as a result, what did you do? Um, I hired an attorney. <laughs> and that's Mr. Rose? Yes. And nothing further. This podcast is sponsored by Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you and your household should any of you suffer a medical emergency and need to be airlifted to a hospital. We don't get to choose when a disaster strikes. You don't get to choose how you get taken to the hospital. Anyone who has been taken to a hospital or has a loved one who's gone to a hospital by ambulance, you know it's very expensive and you know insurance won't usually cover it. Well, when you have to be airlifted by a helicopter, it's much more expensive and yeah, insurance won't cover that either. Air Med Care Network exists to make sure you don't risk bankruptcy in the event that someone in your house has to be airlifted to a hospital for medical treatment. So when you sign up at the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily.
and use promo code daily. Not only are they going to give you coverage for your entire household for one year for $85, but they're also going to give you money back up to 50 bucks, depending on how many years you sign up for. So again, that's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. So, so I want to point out the significance of this, Max. I want to point out yeah. the significance of this. This, by the way, what he did to this witness is done all over the country. It's done all over the country. Now, I want to tell you, what is the largest number of liberal Democrats? What's the largest profession of liberal Democrats in the country? I, I don't know. Lawyers. Homeless. Yeah, th- th- <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> by, by, by a ratio of 75 to 25%, most lawyers are Democrats. Most lawyers in those positions that work at DA's offices are, in fact, Democrats. It's a, it's a true statistic, right? So it's not, my, it's not my deal. It's their statistic. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because Black Lives Matter and went on a, a, a tear saying that, uh, that the, there's inequality inside of the justice system. Now, they're, they're predominantly on the far left, yet they're attacking people on the right. They're attacking conservatives. And what you're seeing here is that the, what, what this witness is describing is what has happened all over mostly inner city urban environments across the country, where DAs try to hem up their case by getting witnesses to lie, by showing them something and saying, hey, add this to your case. And what, what yeah. the public is learning right now is that this is a tactic to persecute people. It's not to prosecute, because prosecute's about facts. When you prosecute someone, you hold them accountable, right? There's, there's a system of accountability. It's based on facts. Here, the DAs are trying to inject facts in order to gain a result of winning. It has nothing to do with justice. And I think what we're starting to yeah. see, and, and I've seen some of the comments here that I want to get rid of these judges and these yeah. uh, prosecutors, they're absolutely right. There's a large Can I interrupt number, you real quick? All right. Because Rittenhouse is talking about Rosenbaum. All right, let's go. So let's go ahead and, and cut to the trial. Now, did you provide medical help to anyone? I did. Describe a couple of those occasions. Um, the first time I provided medical help to someone was um, this lady. I, I, I think she sprained her ankle or twisted. I, I don't know exactly. I'm not an expert on x-rays, or I wouldn't know. Um, she hurt her ankle and she was being carried by two gentlemen. And I said, hey, I, before that I was just, but I was like, hey, do you need help? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, let's go into the car source where I was. And I wrapped her ankle and then she went on her way. And I said, I told her, I let her know there was a hospital. <laughs> if I want to say southbound Sheridan across the street from Car Source 3. The hospital was over there, and she should go get it. All right, why don't we, why don't we yes. take this down, and we're going to see if we can um, find a better Somebody video. threw a chemical bomb. Let's find a better feed. That that wasn't us. That was uh, that was their feed. That was PBS NewsHour's feed. I, they might be running off of a pool feed, so it might just be everyone, but I'm going to go ahead and send this to you, Mr. Producer, the Yahoo Finance feed. Well, now he's talking um, about the chemical bomb being thrown, so let's go back there if we can. Water. Okay. You, um, in 
the answer to the question just before, you said something about being pepper sprayed? I did. And where did that happen? That happened at the car stores, right, I think, I believe it's the first time a big crowd of people were over there. I was pepper sprayed by somebody that was in the crowd. I don't know why, but I was pepper sprayed. Did you do anything in retaliation? I did not. Now, directing your attention to later in the evening, did there come a, an occasion where you had contact with Mr. McGinnis? There was. And before this evening, August 25th, 2020, did you ever met This is the video journalist. I have not. And you and Mr. McGinnis and Mr. Balch go someplace? Yes. And describe that. I get done with my interview with Mr. McGinnis and I ask him, I ask Mr. McGinnis, no, I don't ask him. I said, if you want to come with us, that's fine to document and film the me, me and Ryan helping people. And he said, yeah, sure. And he followed behind us. And in that tape for Mr. McGinnis, there's talk about you being an EMT, correct? Yes. Are you an EMT? I am not. You have first aid and other training. As well. I do. And you go to south on Sheridan Road? Correct. You cross 60th and Sheridan Road? I believe we stay just to the right uh, going south on Sheridan Road. Okay. And eventually you cross Sheridan Road? Eventually. And were the Bearcats there yet? Uh, no. Yes, they were. Okay. Had they set up a line to stop people that you were aware of? Not that I was aware of. Um, I just know they were parked right there and people were throwing rocks at them. Okay. Did anybody tell you not to cross that line? You wouldn't be able to go back? Not until later in the evening. Okay. You cross that line and where do you go? Uh, we continue straight, uh, straight in a southerly direction down Sheridan Road. Okay. Were you going anyplace in particular? No, we were just going to see if anybody needed medical help, and I, I looked at a guy's shoulder on the way there. Okay, and you finished with the guy's shoulder, and you continue on, and what happens? I continue walking in a south southerly direction down Sheridan Road, and then, then as I'm walking. Um, I believe you guys have been referring to him as Yellow Pants. Um, he said he he called he said something to me. I believe it was you were the one that pointed your rifle at me with the laser pointed at me. I I believe that's what I heard. Um, and I I didn't. I that's the first time I saw him that night. So I was confused. So I said I did, and then I continued to walk away. And was the did an admission that you did it or more of a statement with a question? It was a sarcastic remark. Okay. Did you engage with him any further? No. And from there, where do you go? Um, there I continue walking in a southerly direction, merging towards the middle of Sheridan Road. Okay. At that point, do you become aware of anything? In about a couple, as I'm walking, I start to look because I realize Mr. Balch is not with me anymore. Okay. Did you continue on your way down Sheridan Road without Mr. Balch? Um, no. I actually went to go look for um, 
Mr. Balch in the Ultimate Gas Station parking lot. Okay, when you went to the Ultimate Gas Station parking lot, describe what was going on there. There were a lot of people there. Um, I don't really know what was going on. I was just focused on trying to find Mr. Balch. Um, as I was looking for him, couldn't find him. I said, okay, no problem. I'll just go back to the car source lot, car source. I'll just go back to the car source lot, car source. Oh, we're losing the feed. Okay. Why don't we take that down, Mr. Producer, and, and pull up the cool. Yahoo Finance feed that I gave you. Um, that was and switch the it over. So I switched it over when well, the first was. one glitched. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're all um, using the same feed, it looks like. Yeah, they're all using the same pool camera. So they're walking him through his night. Yeah. And they're just getting to the point where they're at that gas station where we've seen on video Rosenbaum shouting the N-word and urging Kyle Rittenhouse and others to shoot him. So that's where they're at in, in having him relay the events joe what's your impression so far of the testimony he, he seems pretty credible to me you can see him closing his eyes trying to remember events in his mind's eye anything jumping out at you so far no he's he's <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna tell you that this kid is he's a lion he's a young lion his courage is just unbelievably unmistakable it's undeniable how much courage this young man has. The amount of pressure you'd have to be under knowing that you're, you could serve life in prison yeah. and, and be as calm, cool, and collected as he is right now. I'm sure that inside there's, some, there's a part of him that's not, um, but I think that also he, this young man has an immense amount of faith. He really does have a heart to help people. And um, you know, one of the comments that he made several months ago. I don't know who he made it to. I think he made it to Linwood, but he said, listen, I, I, can't, I can't help what they do to me. All I can help is what I did um, that was justified. And so this young man, is, he, he literally has walked the line with a whole lot of emotional intelligence and emotional uh, maturity. And uh, it's showing. It's showing right now uh, how authentic he is. I think, it'll come, yeah. I think come, he comes across very credible. The one thing that makes me nervous is he doesn't seem, I mean, maybe it's his nerves, but there were a couple times where he's answering questions and he doesn't know what the answer is going to be. And obviously this is defense counsel um, questioning their witness. So they've gone through all this already. They've practiced this probably at length. He's for weeks. I know he's 18, but that's, that's I mean, again, the risk of, of going up on the stand as a 18 year old. I'm yeah. hoping that that's not a warning sign of things to come. Obviously he's, he's retelling it as he sees fit. Um, but I, I would have, if I, if I was his attorney, I would have liked to probably have seen him be a little bit more sure of some of the answers. Let's, let's see if we can go back to that stream. It looks like it's running again. With Mr. Rosenbaum. I did not. Did you speak to Mr. Rosenbaum? No. Did you notice Mr. Rosenbaum doing anything as you went down to car source three? I didn't, I didn't notice Mr. Rosenbaum until, until he came out from behind the car and ambushed me. Okay, I'll get to that. Did you run the whole way? No, I didn't. Okay. You had your gun, correct? Yes. And you had a fire extinguisher? Yes. And you had your medic? 
my medical bag, yes. And were you asking people about medic medic at that point? I was asking people if they needed uh, medical help as I was getting down there. Did you receive any responses? No, I didn't. Describe your approach to car source number three. As I'm walking down Sheridan Road, um, I I hear somebody scream, burn in hell, and I reply with friendly, friendly, friendly to let them know, hey, I'm just here to help. I'm just, I don't want any problems. I just want to put out the fires if there are any. Um, I continue walking and then I notice the Duramax. I notice a f in the back seat of the Duramax and I stepped, I stepped towards the Duramax and um, as I'm stepping forward, I believe his name is now Joshua Zeminski. He steps towards me with a pistol and Nah. Ah, lost the signal again. Right at the worst possible time. And right I think the they do that on purpose. They're over there, little jiggling it. Just, oh, I'm taking it. We're not going to let them hear this. Okay, maybe that's I not think, what happened. I think it's. I think it's back. Let's go ahead and go back. To right. it. Okay. When you step back from Mr. Zeminski, what's your plan? My plan is to get out of that and, and go back north down Sheridan Road to where. Um, the car source lot number two was. And did you get back? Were you able to go in a northerly direction? I, I wasn't. Describe what happens. I, once I take that step back, I look over my shoulder and Mr. Rosenbaum and go back north down Sheridan Road to where um, the car source lot number two was. And oh, got to rewind. Back? Were you able to go in a northerly direction? I, I wasn't. Describe what happens. I, once I take that step back, I look over my shoulder and Mr. Rosenbaum. This is where Mr. Rosenbaum was now he running. To, he started from to. My he started right to remember side. what really happened, and it's it's um, terrifying to this young man. I was cornered from in front of me with. Mr. Zeminski, and there were. Yeah. Yeah. There were. Take it down for a minute. People right there. Hey, listen, I want you guys to know I've said it before, right? We'll go back to it in a minute, but I want you to, I want you to know something. Killing a man will change you forever. And, and that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing the, the, the yeah. thing that you go through when you're, when you're not a sociopath, the thing that you go through when you're a good person, a good human. And all Can of a sudden, you've got to go up I, real I, quick. All right, go ahead. Go back. Are they taking a, are they taking a break because he's, he's crying? Uh, we're going to take okay, a break, so take a break. Uh, about yeah. uh, 10 minutes. And please don't talk about the case during the break. What, read, watch, or listen to any comments. He's having a panic attack. Yeah. It's, uh, and it, it, it <laughs> It makes complete sense uh, why he, why he'd be afraid. I mean, he's uh, he's reliving it, and 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 again, nothing against him. This is one of the reasons that you don't necessarily want someone to take the stand when they've been traumatized like that, because you don't know how the jury's going to interpret it. You don't. I mean, it, it's entirely possible j jurors could be living in their own little world and could interpret that as an admission of guilt, right? So, it's risky. 
it, it is. Um, obviously, it, there's raw emotions, and he's and he's reliving it. And we can see we like yeah. you and I, Joe. We can see what that means. That he was in. He's reliving what it felt like to be in fear for his life. Yeah, it's uh You, you, you can't help but feel for this young man. And you know they they uh, the the radical left tries to you know make him out to be the villain because that's what they do. What's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right, and we can do what we want. But the the stark reality of what you're seeing is a young man that's in turmoil. A young man that did, never wanted to fire that we weapon, had it, and if he didn't have it, they would have killed him. There is no yeah. doubt in my mind that Kyle would not be with us today had he not defended himself. He wouldn't be with us. The first skateboard hit to his head that would have put him down, 20 people would have come over and just kicked him until he would have been dead. Well, I, I think Rosenbaum, I think Rosenbaum would have gotten him first. I think Rosenbaum would have gotten him, would have held him down. Zeminski had a gun. Yeah. Just, I mean, that part of the testimony, obviously, before he started reliving yeah. it and having that emotional reaction, he was asked what happened, and he was going towards that parking lot, the one that we've all seen from all the video, and he says that Zeminski comes out in front of him with a gun. Now, in that moment, you could make an argument that he would have been in fear for his life, right? I mean, yeah. we're looking at all of these different and he still didn't moments. Do all these different vignettes from the from the the night, like when they when people are shouting at him, burn in hell, and chasing him. When when Zeminski shows him a gun, he there would be a legal argument, probably not the strongest, but there would have been a legal argument for him in that very moment to fear for his life and to take necessary actions. But he didn't because right. he at that point felt like he had an avenue of escape. That avenue was cut off when Rosenbaum, who had been hiding behind the car, snuck around and cornered him. And, and, and try and do like a little pincer move, like a, a circled around him. So his testimony, again, it, it is it is credible. I mean, you look at him, he's, he's reliving it. But he's admitting that he's not this trigger-happy terrorist that the media, the left, is trying to make him out to be. If he was, he would have shot Zeminski right when he saw him approaching him with the gun. And he probably would have had an argument to do it. But he right. didn't. He only, he only opened fire... When he absolutely had to, and he had no other choice. It shows an amazing amount of restraint on his part and maturity as a human, as a being. Look, I remember the first time that I saw someone die. And notice I said first time. <laughs> I remember watching a child die. I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is terrifying to go through because all of your emotions happen all at the same time anger hurt fear and i'm not a fearful person but like what is happening to this person w watching those things happen it, it 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 even if it even if it's not you in the act of doing it it's 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 being there watching it happen it, it will it changes you and then as you get it, as it happens over and over again you think you become desensitized to it you don't i mean ptsd in the military is a, is a real thing and most of it has to do with that you have really good people that have been forced to do things that, you know, that in a normal, you know, walk of life would not choose as a path for themselves. So it, uh, you, you know, one thing I want to say, Max, is 
I'm reading through the comments, and there's some comments in here that I think are uh, telling. One, I want to commend some of our listeners for being so brutally honest, right, and authentic. Um, you have one person in here that says, I did eight years for absolutely nothing. I know the pain of the system. Maybe one day I can be able to share with everyone on the show. I used to put my stuff in there so you could actually reach out to me. Another talks about being abused under the age of eight and not being able to do anything about it. This is an amazing amount of authenticity and vulnerability that we get from, from our listeners. So I do want to say thank you because that means that you, you know, this is what happens when really good people stand together. It's what happens when really good people, you know, feel safe in an environment where they can share things that maybe normally they wouldn't share. And this, is, this also is a testament to we don't know what people go through on a day-to-day basis, right? But I think that when he shot yeah. that guy, well, number one, he got rid of a multiple sex offender, can't say I feel bad about that. Sorry. I mean, I should. I should pray for even my enemy, but um, I have trouble praying for Eric Coomer, too, so there's that. <laughs> what's, what's that joke that's been making, around, making the rounds? A uh, sex offender, a, a domestic abuser, and a convicted criminal walk into a bar, and Kyle says, the shots are on me. It's pretty much what went down. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, realize this is the first... He, they're having him recount the first shooting where he I, I still believe 100% justified they haven't they they haven't even gotten to the chase and pursuit yet and he and he's breaking down obviously extremely raw emotions yeah but he's breaking down just at the at the thought of them circling around him and notice that even then he didn't use deadly force so he's no. reliving those experiences the pure terror that was going through his mind and he didn't deploy deadly force. He still tried to run away. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it I just... don't know. I don't know if I would have tried to run away. If if I felt I was circled, uh, encircled, and trapped. I mean, they haven't even gotten to the point where he's running. And he hears a gunshot behind him. He turns over and sees Rosenbaum lunging for the gun. Where he's running away and he gets sucker punched in the face. Yeah. I mean, these are all things that he's going to be forced to relive in the next few minutes we're about halfway through the 10 minute break right now those are all things that he's going to be asked about and you can notice right there in the front row is his mother yeah his mother is having to watch this she's distraught she is she is crying she has a bunch of tissues bunch of handkerchiefs and and there's the other bit of he's on the stand having to also see his mother crying there I, I I believe that he's going to be acquitted. I really do. But and yeah. and this is just my this is just my bias of just never wanting people to to take the stand unless they feel it's absolutely necessary. I am nervous because you, you never know what can happen. And it, when when you get overcome with emotion, you can say things that you might not mean to say. Uh, I I I I hope that this goes well. Obviously. Uh, we're all praying for Kyle, and we want him to be acquitted. The prosecution, though, is probably excited. This is how sick they are. They're probably excited right now to be getting a bite at this apple because being able to question someone who is obviously um, distraught, thats they're probably seeing this as their opportunity to win back the case that they've been losing for eight days straight, six days straight. So we're about halfway through, halfway through this, as we're waiting for this trial to come yeah, back on, we're going to remind that. everyone. Yeah, go ahead. We're going to remind everyone real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Liberty Cigars, our friends at Liberty Cigars, a proud American company 
All the packaging is proudly made in the USA. Obviously, they are imported cigars uh, using imported tobacco. That's the way you'd want it to be. But when you go to Liberty Cigars, here's the deal. Use promo code BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E. And on every order over $76, they're going to give you a free Patrick Henry cigar. Now, these are all historically themed cigars. They're named after presidents. They're named after American heroes. So you can give the gift of a, of a great cigar and also the gift of history. So if you know anyone who's a history buff who likes to enjoy a cigar every now and then, definitely go to LibertyCigars.com and use promo code BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E, to get a free Patrick Henry cigar added on top of all orders over $76. You know, we should probably talk about some of the other things that were in the the uh, um, title of the show today, um, and we it will burn some time that way talking about uh, Gavin Newsom and the lies of the oh, left. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and I think the interesting part about this, we're going to come back to Kyle. We're going to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. We're going to we're going to replay the video when he comes back on the stand. They're taking a ten minute break, so when he comes back on, but Max, that is the longest Halloween. Uh, night in the world, I think, for Gavin Newsom, don't you think? Yeah, so the excuse, Gavin Newsom has been missing in action since about October 28th, 27th, when he received his COVID-19 booster. <laughs> He's been missing in action. He was supposed to be in Europe for the Paris Climate Accord Conference, the UN Climate Conference, and uh, and he didn't go. So when you get a booster shot and all of a sudden you disappear for two weeks, it leaves a lot of people questioning, is there an adverse reaction? Is it Bell's palsy? What's going on? He finally emerged yesterday and his claim was that he's been missing for two weeks because his kids wanted to go trick or treating, which that was nine, that was nine, 10 days ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also, just not true. What is it? They're just lying. Cause now it came out that he had an adverse reaction because he is the governor of a state well, that's the and all that's the yeah. rumor. Well, but what else does it say about him? How can you claim that climate change is an existential crisis? And when they say that, understand when they say existential crisis, they mean that's a crisis that could end the humanity's very existence. That's what existential crisis means. How can you say that the climate is an existential crisis and you blow off the climate change conference to go trick or treating? Like how does yeah. that work? I mean, it, it doesn't really add up. So they went trick-or-treating, and if we put up image number two, Mr. Producer, they went trick-or-treating as pirates. Put up image number two. They went as pirates, which uh, he, he's not really, it's not a huge smile on his face. I don't want to diagnose Bell's palsy. All I'm saying is if you were going to be going out in public and you couldn't really move one side of your face or one side of your eye, a pirate wearing an eye patch or something like that would be the ultimate costume. <laughs> but they went as pirates and we do actually we do actually have an image um if we take this down we do have an image of gavin newsom obviously that was early we have an image of his first public appearance if we put up image number one miss booster joe you'll like this this is gavin oh! newsom's first public appearance after getting the booster. <laughs> <laughs> and that and is, that is blending uh what, what the, the, the goonies yeah hey you guys the goonies guy blending that onto gavin newsom's face you're gonna go to hell for that. Just want you to know that. All right. Oh, well. So, so um, yeah, Gavin Newsom is is one lie. Another lie that we should probably talk about is what they've done with Project Veritas and kind of this 
trying to create another chaotic scene. Again, let's nothing to see over here. Which, by the way, I want to tell everyone right now, if we don't get rid of the election machines, we don't solve the 2020 election, we will never have a free and fair election going forward. And so when people say, let's just look forward, we won in Virginia. We won in Virginia because they wanted us to win in Virginia. We won in Virginia because they couldn't cheat enough. We won in Virginia because we shut down what happened in Fairfax County and Prince William County. But they're going to continue to cheat because they have a system that allows them to cheat and take whatever elections that they want until we get to a place where we get eradicate this substandard system. You are never, ever going to have your voice restored. So when that people tell you that you're, you need to go you forward and look forward, don't look at the train wreck behind you, we know they stole it. They're telling you to ignore the fact that they've been stealing and lying for over two decades to you about basic things. Well, what do you think? What do you think about Chris Christie speaking I think, before a I think Chris Christie is a, in Nevada? I think he's a traitor. I think he is a. I think that Chris Christie is the identical person that the radical left are. I don't think there's any difference between Republicans and Democrats and leadership. Well, to anyone I who think, doesn't know, Chris Christie gave a speech in Nevada before a Republican group, urging yeah. them to move on from the 2020 not election. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Put in the rearview mirror. Move on and let it go. No. Let it go. No. You're not going to let it go, Joe. I'm not going to let it go. And no American that isn't American should ever let it go. Why would you let it go? Why would you let them have the crime of the century and the coup of the century that is costing Americans their lives? It's costing Americans their tax dollars. The consequence of this election are so grave to people that kids are dying. Kids are dying of starvation. American kids. While $450,000 gets given to these illegals that break our laws and come across the border. Now, in Poland, they just lined up all the military and said, if you guys come across this border, we're literally going to shoot all of you. That happened. That's happening right now. This migrant uh, caravan is trying to come into Poland. And what they said is, if, if you take a step onto our, our thing, there will be a mass slaughter of you people. They said it and set it up. And then you have these advocacy groups that are trying to basically make decisions for changing fundamentally that country because that country has said we're not going to allow these shenanigans to happen. We're not going to allow you to break the ethos or the culture of our country like they've been trying to do for decades in the United States. No, there is no bigger issue that we face today, no bigger issue than the election in 2020. None. And we should never get away from it. And we should make sure that we hold them accountable. And these traitors should be hung because that is the that is the punishment for the crime. If you steal the voice of the American people, I pay in six months of my salary. I literally work for the government for free for six months out of the year. I am a slave to them. And the last thing that I have in order to make me more free is my voice. And they slowly boil you like a frog. And you're supposed to just take it. You're supposed to take it. Sit down and take it. Sit down and shut up. We'll tell you what the election system should look like. We'll tell you what, sound, who we should have in office. It sounds like we're, we're getting back in a second. Just want to give you a, a brief warning. All right. Sounds so, like Rittenhouse is going to be coming back on. So the next thing they lied to you about is the fact that the Ashley Biden diary was not real. Well, if, the, if you ever had the thought that it wasn't real, if you ever had thought it wasn't real, you now know it is real. Go ahead and put up that picture, and I'm going to tell you that in this, it talks about look at this picture. There we go. Now, in this, it talks about taking inappropriate showers with her dad. 
the pedophile Biden. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually kind of heartbreaking to read. But um, so you see at the top, it's talking about the page before is talking about, you know, um, being sexual at a young age and why am I like this? Um, she she says, was, was I molested? I think so. I can't remember specifics, but I do remember trauma. She says, I, I remember not liking someone's house. I remember being sexualized with Carolyn, uh, having sex at a young age. Showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. Um, and then she goes into more... Turned uh, on when I wasn't supposed stuff. to be. Remember the Q-tips? I hated getting my ears clean. All right, the the, uh, the trial's coming Meeting. back on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, go ahead and take it down. Let's go back to the trial, and we'll come back to this when we come back after this. Go ahead. Back south down Sheridan, and Mr. Rosenbaum was right there at the corner of the Duramax cha starting to chase me, and that's when I realized the only place I can run with the people around me is straight towards the building of the car source lot number three. When you saw Mr. Rosemum, that's when you said friendly, friendly? Uh, when I heard burn inside, I don't know exactly where I was at in the time for that. Did Mr. Rosenbaum say anything to you? Um, no, Mr. Zeminski instructed Mr. Rosenbaum to get him and kill him. That's what I heard. And you go running what's been referred to the southwest corner of car source? Yes. And as you're running in that direction, describe the being chased, what was happening? As I'm running in that southwest direction, Mr. Rosenbaum throws, I, at the time, I, I know it's a bag now, but when he threw it at me, um, with the light, it looked silver and it looked like the chain when he threw it at me. I, and then I continue, I, I turn around for, for about a second while continuing to run and I point my gun at Mr. Rosenbaum. Does that stop him from chasing you? It does not. They, after you turn around and you had your hands up kind of in a low ready position? Yes. And you see Mr. Rosenbaum coming at you? Yes. And what do you do then? Um, after he throws the bag and he continues to run, he's gaining speed on me. A gunshot is fired from behind me, directly behind me. And I take a few steps and that's when I turn around. And as I'm turning around, Mr. Rosenbaum is, I would say, from me to where the judge is uh, coming at me with his arms out in front of him. He, he, I remember his hand on the barrel of my gun. And why didn't you just keep running? When I was over there, there were about a hundred people surrounding that, that those cars and there was no space for me to continue to run to. And so you turned around? Yes. And as you see him lunging at you, what do you do? I shoot him. And how many times did you shoot? I believe four. And after you shot him, what did you do? Uh, the people around the the people around the cars that were originally there were not there anymore. Um, they they moved away, and I ran around 
to see if I could help Mr. Rosenbaum. And when you got to Mr. Rosenbaum, what was happening? Mr. McGinnis was, I, he took off his helmet and slammed it on the ground and took off his shirt. And I don't remember what he said. I um, was it focused on that. I was in shock, sort of. Let, let me back up a second. Did you know Mr. McGinnis was even around? I didn't. Okay. And he says something to you, and what do you do? Um, I pull out my phone, and I call Dominic Black. And you call Dominic, and what do you say? I told him I just shot somebody. I had to shoot him. And what do you do then? Um, I now know it to be Kelly Zeminski, Joshua Zeminski, and I don't know the other people were screaming, get his ass, get his ass, get him, get him, get him. And based upon that, did you feel as though you were safe to stay where you were at? I thought the safest option would, would be to go north down Sheridan to turn myself into the law enforcement down there. And as you head down Sheridan Road, describe what's going on. As I'm running, at first I'm in the sidewalk, and Mr. Lakowski, um, Jason Lakowski, is in the sidewalk, and I stop to talk to Mr. Lakowski for a brief second. I remember telling him that I just shot somebody and I need help to get to the police because the crowd, there was a, not a crowd, a mob was chasing me. And did Mr. Lakowski offer you any help? I don't remember. Okay, what do you do then? I, I continue to run after hearing people say, people were saying cranium him, get him, kill him. People were screaming and I just was trying to get to the police running down Sheridan Road. And you say I'm trying to get to the police. Why were you trying to get to the police? So I didn't do anything wrong. I defended myself. Did you feel as though there was safety where the police were? Yes. And as you head down Sheridan Road, what's the next thing you remember? The next thing I remember is Anthony Huber striking me in the head with a skateboard. Okay. As you sit here today, do you remember talking to Gage Grosskreutz? Yeah, eh, sort of, a little bit. I didn't know it was Gage Grosskreutz when he came up to me, but sort of. Okay. And when this individual runs up to you and gets how close? Um, I would say within a foot. Did you shoot him? I did not. Did you point your gun at him? I did not. Why not? I didn't see him as a threat to my safety or life. Was he armed at that time? Not that I noticed. Okay. And you continue running in a northerly direction down Sheridan Road? Correct. And as you're running in that direction, you said the next thing you remember is Anthony Huber. Yes. Describe that. Anthony Huber, what I remember is running past Anthony Huber, and as I'm running past Mr. Huber, he's holding a skateboard like a baseball bat, and he swings it down, and I block it with my arm, trying to prevent it from hitting me, but it still hits me in the neck. And as I block it, it goes flying somewhere off in the distance. And do you stop then? No. What do you do next? I keep running down uh, Sheridan Road towards the police line. Then what happens? Um, I get lightheaded. Um, I almost pass out and I stumble and hit the ground. Okay. Before you hit the ground, how many times were you struck? 
I believe twice. Okay. Do you remember anything about the other one? I remember the first one being a rock. I don't remember who did it, but I remember like the bumpiness of like a concrete rock hitting me in the back of the head. Okay. Now, after being struck with Mr. Huber's skateboard, you end up on the ground. Yes. You're on the ground. What's the first thing you remember? As I'm on the ground, there are people around me. I don't recall how many, but I remember moving my rifle in their direction and they back off besides one person. Okay. When you noticed people by you, you said you moved your rifle in their direction? Yes. Did that individual keep coming? The last person did. Okay. The people that stopped, what did you do to them? Nothing. Okay. And you're saying the last person in that group continued to come at you? Yes. And describe what happened. The last person, um, I, I don't know his name. I don't think he was ever identified. Um, jumps at me with his, with, he was wearing boots, I believe. And as he's running at me and jumping, as his boot is making contact with my face, I fired two shots at him. Why did you shoot at him? I thought if he if if I were to be knocked out, or he he would have stopped my face in if I didn't fire. As a result of being kicked in the face, what happens? Mr. Huber, immediately after I'm kicked in the face, runs up as I'm sitting up to try to get up and get to the police. I'm on my back, and. Mr. Huber runs up, he, as I'm getting up, he strikes me in the neck with his skateboard a second time. Then what happens? He grabs my gun and I can feel it pulling away from me and this, I can feel the strap starting to come off my, my body. And what do you do then? I fire one shot. And after you fire striking, we now know Mr. Huber, what do you do? I lower my weapon and I see Mr. Grosskreutz with his hands up and as I'm lowering my weapon I look down and then Mr. Grosskreutz he lunges at me with his pistol pointed directly at my head. Now you heard Mr. Grosskreutz's testimony about re-racking? Yes. Did you re-rack your weapon? I did not. Could I have the exhibit, please? Make sure to see if you would. That's the mom. The mom is obviously very emotional. So they're going to play that clip of the re-racking. The prosecution has made a big deal about it. Oh, they're actually bringing up the rifle. Good thing we're not on YouTube. Yeah, they're clearing it to make sure there's no bullets in it. You don't want to have an Alec Baldwin situation. Oh boy, it's too soon, Max. Too soon. Well, that's why they're clearing it. That's why you, that's why you clear it. You want to make sure there's nothing left in there that people don't know about. Showing you what's been previously marked, Exhibit 28, do you recognize this? I do. Now, when somebody would, as Mr. Grosswood said, re-rack, 
at this? Yes. Do you call it re-racking? I call it charging, charging, putting a light rod into the chamber. And to recharge, you have to pull this all the way back? Yes. Say that's about four inches? I, no, I'm asking you if you agree with that approximation. Mr. Rittenhouse, how far do you think that is? Three, four inches. And if the weapon is loaded and you re-rack, what happens? If there is already a round in the chamber, when you re-rack the rifle, a live round would four. come out, chambering a new round in, into the chamber. Now, we got to the point where Mr. Grossquitz is standing in front of you, has his hands up? Correct. And are you aware that he's armed? At that point, I do see a pistol in his hand. Is that the same or different from your first encounter with Mr. Grossquitz? That is different. And he is standing, you said, how close to you? What I remember is our feet were touching what it seemed like. Okay. And you do what? My rifle is down, his hands are up, his pistol is in his hand, and then Mr. Grosscruz looks at me, and that's when Mr. Grosscruz brings his arm down like this, like he, his arm is like that with me on the ground and his pistol is pointed at me and that's when I shoot him. How many times did you shoot him? Once. And after you shoot Mr. Grosquitz, do you know where you shot him? No. What happens after you shoot him? Um, he's no longer a threat to me. Um, there's only There's only one person in front of me and his hands are up. I briefly point my rifle at him and I get onto one knee getting up and he backs he backs up with his hands up and I don't shoot him. Did you notice anybody to your sides? To my left there was a gentleman with a pipe and to my right gentleman. I believe it was a fence post. I, I don't know what it was, but it was it was a large object. Once you're to your feet, what do you do? I start walking towards the police line um, to turn myself into the police. Describe, where is the police line? Is it still in the same place? Uh, it, it moved up a little bit. Um, I, was, I was down in the road about approximately right here. I, I'd say over over here somewhere in this area. I don't remember exactly, but the police line was right here. I could I could see the flashing lights as I was trying to get to the police before. Okay. And as you go towards the police line, describe what happens. I run and walk. Um, I put my hands up and um, as I'm walking towards the police, I can't I can't really hear anything. Um, my vision is very narrow. I can only see directly in front of me. I see the flashing lights. Um, I remember I occasionally tried to move my rifle behind me to put it behind me, so the so I could so the police didn't see me as a threat when I tried to turn myself in. 
I continue to walk and then I walk towards the window of the uh, sedan, the police cruiser sedan, I don't know what they're called. Um, and I tell the officer, I just shot somebody, I just shot somebody. And the officer says, get the fuck back or you're gonna get pepper sprayed. Go home, go home, go home. And where do you go after you step back from the police car? I go to car source number two. Okay, and now there wasn't a line there? They weren't stopping people from going in a northerly direction? No, they weren't. And you go to car source, what we refer to as car source number two, and who do you see? I get there and I see, I think the first person I see is Joanne Fiedler. I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I believe that's who's outside at the door. Um, they let me. The door was locked. So, so why don't we? Had to why don't we cut away to unlock it? So, what Ooh. he just described is the encounter, and you can see that even with the benefit of hindsight, having watched this, even some of even with all that, even some of the events are, are still a little blurry in his head because he's being chased by a mob. He's being attacked. Um, I mean, the the, the defense attorney walked him through it. And every, in every single one of those situations, he just made the case that, yes, it is self-defense. And it was very important for the defense attorney to reiterate that when people had their hands up and backed away, he did not shoot them. Right. That's very important because the mainstream media, Facebook, Google, they have branded him as a mass shooter. Mass shooters do not stop shooting when people put their hands up and back up. No, they don't. Yeah. I mean, th that... I was going to crack a joke. I probably should not crack a joke. I go to humor when when I get in stressful situations. Um, but um, the joystick of of uh, um, his PS4 translated very well to, to the rifle. <laughs> okay, it was funny for me. All right, don't be mad at me for being funny. I had to have a little bit Too of humor soon. in I kinda it. I kind of needed that one. Uh, you know, I, I, this reminds me of, you know, I feel bad for him because of what he's going to have to go through for the rest of his life. And just like every other trauma that a person goes through, the trauma he goes through is very real. And remembering it shows you the amount of courage that he has, the, the amount of just fortitude he has as a person. And that will serve him well. That will serve him very well, um, because he, he he will never put himself in a position where he becomes a victim. And that's really important, especially in this country in this day and age, where they let illegals come through the through the border with impunity. Um, which is another thing we should probably, you know, have a conversation about about what's next. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time for this episode. I think what yeah. what we'll do is I don't know if you have time, Joe. We'll keep staying with the trial. I'll stay on. And, and keep react to it. If you can, you can stand if you have time. If not, that's okay. Um, before we came to air, there was something really important that I didn't know about that that came out, which is that while Kyle Rittenhouse lived in Antioch, Illinois with his mother and siblings, his father lives in Kenosha. Oh, wow. So I guess the mother and father are separated, divorced. I don't know the specifics yeah. of that. But his father lives in Kenosha which yeah. blows apart the narrative that he was looking for trouble and that he was somewhere he shouldn't have been. Completely blows yeah. it apart. Whew. Well, the prosecution is about to get started, so why don't we end this hour?
That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. Stay well, tuned. Well, hold on. Keep hold on. Coming. Can, you, can you hold on a second? We, we want to end this with, we do have another sponsor for the show, and that okay. is MyPillow. So you can save up to 66%. It's actually 68% now um, on MyPillow. If you use code CD21, that's Charlie David 21 We're getting to the point where it's Christmas time, so spend uh, your money with a company and with a man who is an American patriot and someone that's been standing up regardless of the cost for uh, to save this nation. Yeah. So he is he is yeah. living in the gap. So support Mike Lindell, support my pillow, save up to sixty six percent with code CD twenty one, and um, you know buy your relatives, family, yeah. everyone pillows, slippers, a robe. Yep. I just got a new robe. It's been great. So the yeah. prosecution has started. So that's going to be it for this first part. Stay tuned. If you're listening to audio, there will be a second part immediately after this, continuing the Kyle Rittenhouse um, testimony. Let's go ahead and go back to that YouTube video.